podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Today we're going to do it a little bit different. Logistics made it a little difficult to get someone to join me, so I'm just going to go ahead and record this episode by myself today. Uh, we actually have a little bit to go ahead and cover. Uh, we're going to do a preview of the West Virginia-Kansas game this weekend here here in Lawrence. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit of uh, Kansas Big 12 opener in volleyball, and we're going to finish up talking just a little bit of NCAA basketball. Um, so we'll go ahead and jump right into it. First up is our preview of this weekend's game, Kansas versus the West Virginia Mountaineers. Uh, Kansas obviously is coming off of two very poor outings against Mac schools um, in Central Michigan and Ohio. And, and obviously we uh, spent all of this last episode of the podcast talking about the football program and some of the changes that we think need to happen there and uh, kind of the consequences of that. So. We won't dwell on that any further. We'll just strictly be looking ahead. Um, but looking at this game, I'm finding it kind of hard to f- to look or to see anything optimistic uh, when it comes to how I'm thinking this game is going to go. Uh, everything that I, I looked at a few previews of the matchup and been looking. Uh, obviously, West Virginia has been very good offensively. Uh, quarterback Will Greer, the transfer from Florida, has been playing phenomenally, has 11 touchdowns, only two interceptions. Uh, they haven't been playing the best competition since their opening game against Virginia Tech, which they lost. But, you know, it's kind of hard to think that Kansas is anywhere uh, by, by their play that they're anywhere near the level of competition uh, that would give West Virginia the kind of problems that we saw them have against Virginia Tech. So. In terms of weaknesses for Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech is definitely uh, weak in the secondary on the defensive side. Uh, that theoretically should be something that we can go ahead and take advantage of with Peyton Bender being able to air the ball out um, and win with our fast receivers. The only issue with that, of course, being the campus offensive line. Um, West Virginia's defensive front is actually pretty good. Um, talent-wise, I would say Kansas probably has more raw talent but obviously their scheming hasn't been able to to take advantage of that. West Virginia has been performing a lot better on their defensive line than Kansas has. And the Kansas offensive line is nowhere near as good as West Virginia's offensive line. So I'm expecting Kansas to continue to have problems with protection, uh, you know, giving Peyton Bender time in the passing game. And so I don't know that Kansas is going to get a chance really to challenge the West Virginia secondary. This may be the game that everyone talks about is, you know, kind of the turning point for that defense where all of a sudden the West Virginia defense is going to play a whole lot better. And I'm thinking that it's not really going to be because the defense is actually playing better. It's just that they're going up against an opponent that won't be able to challenge the weak spots in their defense. So unfortunately, my my prediction on that would be that their defense has a banner day for them. Um, they're going to jump up a whole lot in that. Uh, in those rankings defensively, and it's not really going to be because that secondary is doing really well. It's just going to be because we won't be able to take advantage of the issues that they have in the secondary. Um, In terms of strengths for Kansas that they might 
be able to use to pull off a major upset. Uh, Kansas is a very good special team, or it's very good on the special team. Um, as those of you that have read the power rankings that are that actually came out yesterday, um, you know Kansas is actually number two in the nation when it comes to uh, yards allowed on kickoff returns. Um, obviously, I think a lot of that has to do with them having so many kickoff returns with the, with the opposing team scoring so many times that any big runs that they have kind of gets balanced out by just the sheer volume of returns that they've had to defend. Um, you know, they have a solid kicking coverage team, but the main issue becomes that, you know, when you're doing it that many times, you know, any big runs can't increase that average by a bunch because there's so many media or so many solid defenses of a kickoff return. Uh, it would take a lot more big plays in order for them to raise that average a lot. Um, I'm not expecting Kansas to give up any big returns like West Virginia had in their, in their opening kickoff or, or the, and they had an early kickoff against Delaware state that they returned 80 yards, um, you know, to, to, to set up some early scores. I'm not expecting Kansas to give up big runs like that. So, um, West Virginia will have to actually move the ball down the field, but given Kansas defense, I'm not really expecting that to be a problem for them. So um, ultimately, I, I just don't think that Kansas is going to be able to get enough going offensively for them to be able to stay close, um, given how many points the defense is going to give up. I do expect guys like Joe Deneen, um, Doran Armstrong, and Daniel Wise to actually have, have decent games. Um, Joe Deneen, I'm not expecting to have as bad of a game as he did last week. Uh, honestly, I didn't. Watching it live, I didn't see or seem to think that he had that bad of a game, but after kind of looking back on it and, and looking at kind of the way he was graded and things like that and seeing some of the highlights, I saw a lot more where he was out of position. A lot of that seemed to be just him trying to make plays to make up for the defense, the defensive miscues that they had there um, from other people in the defense. So it's not that, you know, Deneen had a really bad game himself. He was just pressing too much to make up for some of the other deficiencies and it, it caused his game to suffer. I was a little surprised looking at the pro football focus, uh, all team or all, all college defense um, for this last week. I saw that Daniel Wise was on there a little bit surprised that we really had anyone on there after the way we just, you know, gave up points and yards uh, to Ohio last week. But, you know, it's, it's good to see those individual talents get some credit for what they are able to do. I just really wish that we'd be able to take that and turn that into a good overall performance from the defense. Not expecting that to happen with this West Virginia matchup. West Virginia is so dangerous offensively that I'm just not seeing how we're going to be able to, t uh, to, to, to really turn it around this week. Hopefully with the bye week coming up next week and then facing Texas Tech, um, we'll have some time to actually scheme against that and, you know, Texas Tech. Their defense really is nothing special this week or this this year. It should give our offense actually a chance to go ahead and, and keep us in the game. But again, Texas Tech is so uh, another one of those teams that's just so offensively talented. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna shred that that secondary that we have back there unless those guys can really improve really quickly. Um, so I think we're gonna go ahead and leave the uh, preview of the game at that. I don't really want to dwell too much on it because. Obviously, it's not really a fun topic to dwell on right now. We will have the predictions out later today for those of you listening on, on Friday. Um, and you'll, you'll kind of see the, the final prediction of what we all see. I'm expecting that 
pretty much everyone is going to have Kansas lose by quite a lot. The line on the game is uh, West Virginia by 21 points. So uh, I would really be surprised to see Kansas actually uh, win against the spread. I'm not, I'm not expecting Kansas really to be able to keep it within even four touchdowns. So um, it should be, I guess, interesting in that, in that case to see if Kansas can find anything positive going forward. Uh, but to keep it even close, I think, would be a miracle at this point. So with, with that, we're going to go ahead and move on. Next topic to talk about would be uh, Kansas is opening up Big 12 play uh, for volleyball this weekend. On Sunday, they are uh, playing Kansas State, uh, which is it's actually not Kansas State's opener. But Sunday, Kansas Jayhawks will face Kansas State. Uh, it will be nationally televised on ESPN2. Uh, it's it's going to be at Kansas State, so uh, it's let me see. It's actually going to be Sunday at noon, meaning that those of you that aren't, you know, wanting to catch an early uh, an, an early football game, or maybe even on on commercials, you can flip over and watch the uh, the women. You don't really get a chance very often to see them on national television, so this would be a good chance for those of you guys that want to to catch it and don't have Jayhawk television. Um, in the in the Kansas City area and are blacked out uh, from being able to see them on like ESPN three, um, but so the women the uh, the volleyball team obviously had a disappointing weekend last weekend, uh, taking two of three but dropping dropping the match against Santa Clara. Uh, they did fall to number twelve in the volleyball rankings. Uh, I believe it's the first time this year that they've been outside of the top ten. Um, which is kind of a little disappointing, but not not really too surprising um, at this point. Kansas State is a team that actually has been mildly successful this year. Uh, they are not currently ranked, but they do have wins. Um, let's see, they do have some wins against some some decent teams. Um, let's see, they beat Oklahoma. Actually, you know what? I think I take that back. Looking at their wins right now, uh, they've lost to a lot of good teams, but they haven't really won any major matches. Their wins are against Pacific, um, Idaho, looks like they beat North Florida, Xavier, um, UMKC, Omaha, and Northern Iowa, and then they just beat Oklahoma to open up Big 12 play. Uh, they actually went down to Oklahoma on Wednesday and, and beat them there. Uh, but they got swept by Oregon state. They, they lost three sets to two against Arkansas. They lost three to one against Syracuse. Uh, they got swept by Wisconsin earlier this year. Let's see. They also got swept by Nebraska. Looks like just last week. So they've every uh, major competitor that they've played seems to have uh beat them quite handily. I don't know that I'm necessarily too worried about the match coming up, but obviously, um, you know, the Jayhawks can't afford to have the, the errors and, and the sloppy play that they've had in the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't know what it is since they played Purdue, but that, that Creighton matchup, they just looked overmatched and they just couldn't seem to get it together. And they had a lot of trouble, well, a lot more trouble out in Santa Clara uh, at the Santa Clara Invitational than I was expecting them to have. So I was a little surprised to see them have those those problems. Um, hopefully they can get that turned around. But that will be a good opportunity for everybody to, to watch them 
uh, if, if they don't normally get that opportunity and would like to tune in to ESPN2 this Sunday again at, at noon Jayhawk time. Um, let's move on at this point. I don't know that there's much left to say about volleyball at this point, so let's go ahead and move on. The last topic of the evening, and, 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 and I know this is going to be a pretty short one. Uh, I guess that's kind of what happens when you're, uh, you know, on your own and don't have other, other people to kind of bounce ideas and conversation off of. But uh, the news hit late this week um, that Bill Self kind of finally spoke publicly about his thoughts on the transfer rule, the transfer proposal. That being that students who transfer for whatever reason from one school to another will not have to sit out a year before they can play. Uh, obviously, there is some concern about, you know, recruiting directly off of an opposing team, especially one that you play frequently. Um, you know, I, I can see some of the concerns about, you know, if we were to try to recruit some of the better players off of some of the other teams in the conference or, you know, someone that we know that we're playing soon uh, that maybe wants to move on one of our lesser opponents or something like that. Um, or even going the other way, you know, if we have guys on the bench that aren't getting a lot of playing time, but, you know, maybe some of the other schools in the conference or some of the other, you know, mid-major schools or other ones that want to, or that, that are going to be playing us soon, want to recruit one of our guys and offer him more playing time, um, that potentially could be a concern. Bill Self has come out against that sort of change. I haven't read too much about his reasoning for opposing this sort of rule change, but my understanding is that it has to do with the fact that, um, you know, there is that concern with moving and then immediately being eligible to play for a team that was already on the schedule. Uh, so like recruiting from essentially from your opponents, um, you know, and then also obviously concerns about tampering with, with kids, recruiting directly off of other squads, talking with players that aren't your own and, and offering them things to kind of get them to move. Uh, obviously that, that can be a concern, um, if you've got some unethical guys, you know, it, it obviously opens up the door for them to be able to do that a little bit easier uh, or actually, you know, reap the rewards of that a whole lot sooner. Um, I, I do think, though, that there has been talk about strengthening the, the penalties for coaches that are caught tampering or, or, or violating the rules that do uh, pertain to that. So, I mean, I, I don't know that it's, that it's necessarily a deal breaker for me. I, I do definitely think that um, the students would benefit a lot from being able to find a situation that's better for them. If you've got a coaching change, you know, or, or if, if a coach recruits over you um, and, you know, it turns out that, you know, say, say that you're a sophomore that gets recruited over going into your junior year, you realize that there's absolutely no way you're going to get any kind of playing time that's going to help you achieve the goals that you have. I just, I don't think it's fair for a guy to have to sit out a year, especially if he's already used his red shirt. Um, you know, kind of sitting and waiting and hoping that the roster is going to clear up to give him a better opportunity. That guy shouldn't have to go sit out when he finds a better opportunity for him. Um, the graduate transfer rule, I think, is a good rule at this point. Um, you know, it's a very it's very related to academics, allowing them a clear idea of when they can move on. But I don't necessarily think that that should be the only time that they're allowed to move on. You know, obviously the education is the focus of the school, but the way that college athletics is at this point, I don't, I don't think that it's necessarily fair to say um, that we should only be looking at academic reasons for guys to be able to move and then be able to play immediately. College sports, especially college basketball, well, 
all of college sports, really, if, if, if you're an athlete in school, it's a big part of who you are. It's a big part of your learning experience, um, you know, in terms of socializing and building connections. Um, you know, we have to remember that that's a lot of what the college experience is, too. It's about building connections, building networks that help you be successful throughout the rest of your life. If you're restricted to staying in a particular situation that is just not a good fit for you, is not a good um, a good way for you to develop those those connections. Um, we're really hurting people and hurting the, the students that are supposed to be, uh, you know, the main focus. We're we're trying to set these kids up to allow them to be successful adults. Um, that is not only you know being successful in sports, but being able to build like build the real world connections that they need, um, being able to get them the education that they need. And education is not just in the classroom. It's not just the degree that they take. It is. It is, you know, the, the full breadth of the college experience that they have, allowing them, um, you know, to find other activities, to find other people, to make the to make those, um, to to build that network network that they have that will carry them throughout the rest of their lives. So I know when I was at at college, it wasn't just my academic classes; it was all the different organizations that I was in. It was all the friends that I made. It was, you know, the teachers that mentored me. It was all the people that I came into contact with that allowed me to be successful in college. And, and while sports is a huge part of their life and playing is a huge part of their life while they're there at college, there are other aspects that we talk about when we're talking about getting a college education other than just the degree that they have. So I do think that it's an important, an important thing to consider um, not just on the basketball court or, you know, if, if we're applying this rule for all sports, then just on, not, not just on the field as well. It's very important to allow them to have that well-rounded experience that they need. Now, talking basketball implications, you know, I was listening to uh, the CBS Sports podcast. Uh, it's uh, Gary Parish and, and Matt Norlander, and I think that they had a really good take on this. They had talked with, with a bunch of different coaches um, about this proposed rule change. Um, not only the high major coaches, but also a lot of the mid-major or low-major coaches, you know, and, and obviously the big concern is that the, the high the I'm sorry, the, the major colleges are going to be able to go coach whatever guys they want. And the point that they made that the coaches kind of brought up with them is that, you know, these mid-major and low-major coaches aren't really necessarily as concerned because um, a lot of times the situation, and, and, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, paraphrasing what they said, though, is that the situation in a lot of cases um, is that those, you know, the best two or three players on a particular mid-major squad are there because of the good relationship they have with the coach. And a lot of times those mid-major players, uh, you know, those best players, those, you know, top two or three on their squad, um, if a higher, if, if a major team comes and, and is trying to get them to come, you know, there's a lot of times that those coaches are going to be able to, to leverage that relationship to convince the guy to stay. Um, you know, and, and if it was always that guy's dream to be able to go to that college anyway, um, you know, then he doesn't, the, the kind of relationship he has with the player, he doesn't want to be the guy that stops them from going and fulfilling that dream. But what really it does is gives those low, those low major or those mid-major schools an opportunity to find players on these, these high major rosters that, could potentially help them out greatly and aren't happy with the situation that they have. So they can go and they can, you know, pitch to guys that are looking potentially to transfer to say, look, we've got playing time for you here. You're going to be able to come in. You're going to be able to get that, that higher role that you want. 
you know, and I think they made a really good point that I, you know, that that is going to be the main benefit of this transfer rule. It's not going to be that the power is going to, or the talent is going to consolidate at the high major schools. It's really going to be that there is going to be a lot more, you know, I think there will be a lot more movement. Uh, so there will have to be kind of strict rules in terms of, you know, graduate or academic progress and things like that to make sure that, that, you know, the academics that are supposedly the focus kind of remain somewhat of the focus, but it will give these, these mid-major schools an opportunity to get some guys that can be really good, solid players for them that they wouldn't otherwise have. Because now, you know, you could have a sophomore transfer and have two years immediately, not have to sit out a year um, and potentially delay his time that he'd be eligible to move on to the NBA draft or, or just really to make an impact. So I, I do think that the transfer rule, despite the fact that Bill Self is not really thrilled with it, is a good thing. Um, obviously, it's still a few years down the road. They're, they're not talking about implementing it immediately. There's still a lot of research needs to be done about it. A lot of recommendations need to come out. And it needs to definitely be something that they talk about a lot more before they move in and actually implement it. But um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to throw my two cents in there because I know that, that uh, we had linked to an article that, that Bill Self had, had said that he didn't really uh, approve of the rule or he, he didn't really like the idea of the rule. So, um, But I think that's actually going to go ahead and do it for us today. Uh, we got a nice short episode for you, probably about 20 minutes or so uh, once it's all edited and put up there. But uh, we'll give you a nice chance to get a quick, a quick preview of everything that has gone in uh, without – without dragging it out too much coming up this weekend though we not only have the football game um but we also have obviously the 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 volleyball that we had already talked about uh pulling it up now we have we have let's see women's tennis is at the rice invitational uh men's golf is is also this weekend but in terms of other ones that you might want to follow you can listen to a lot of it on the uh, ku athletics slash radio uh, it looks like Friday night. So, so tonight, by the time you're listening to this, uh, the women's soccer team is traveling down uh, to Fort Worth to play TCU. I believe that that is their Big 12 opener as well. So, so Big 12 season is starting for pretty much all the teams now. Um, yeah, so, so the soccer team will be traveling down to TCU. They are not ranked anymore, but they were recently. I expect them to be able to put up a good showing down there in TCU. Um, from everything that I've that I've read about the soccer teams, I believe that uh, the that are that the Jayhawks are probably going to be favored in that in that match. Um, I would expect them to be able to pull out the victory, or at least at least only have to uh, worry about the tie there. So I would be kind of shocked to see them lose that one. So, uh, but yeah, so so Friday we have women's soccer. Saturday we have football, and then. On Sunday, we have the women's volleyball. So we have a lot of action going on this weekend for the Jayhawks. Um, hopefully, you can catch some of it, and hopefully, you can catch us on either Monday or Tuesday when we come back and are recapping the, the action of the weekend. Um, hopefully, there won't be too much um, anger and frustration, but we'll have to see what gets there. So once again, thank you for joining us tonight on the Rock Talk Talk podcast. I know it was a little different having me talking the whole time, but... Uh, um, make, make sure you guys leave us comments and uh, recommendations and everything down in the comments below the article, uh, and we will catch you guys next time. Thanks again. Rock Chop.
Social Podcast Network.